today uh, as Pentecost Sunday, and so I'm going to be reading a couple of passages of Scripture throughout my sermon, but the majority of my sermon is going to be based on Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. So, uh, well, no, that's the book of Luke. That's the uh, part one of the book of Acts. So Luke, the apostle, uh, wrote uh, his gospel, and then he also wrote the book of Acts. And so the reason we know that is because in Luke chapter 1, he mentions this person or these people called Theophilus. And, and, Luke, and then in Acts uh, chapter 1, Luke starts off, Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning, right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. And then he goes on to talk about these are the events that followed Jesus' um, ascension into heaven. So we're going to pick up on chap in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And the, the, the disciples, they weren't quite apostles yet. They hadn't been sent. Apostles are those who are followers of Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and sent out to do the work. So we all ought to be living as apostles, as people who are sent. And so... These men and women were in hiding. They were essentially being hunted, and they were imprisoned in their own homes, which might sound a little bit familiar, although we're not being hunted. We have felt, at least I have felt, a bit imprisoned in my own home. I've thought before, if I had a life sentence to be in this house right now, I would go bonkers. I can't imagine what it would be like to have a life sentence in uh, a 6 by 10 foot cell where uh, I could... That, that was where I spent the rest of my life. I, I, I just don't think my brain, I'm not tough enough to deal with that. And so uh, these, these disciples were in hiding. They were in this room. They had experienced the resurrected Jesus. They had seen the ascension of Jesus. And then this happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now what you need to know is that Pentecost was originally not a Christian holiday. It's one of those days that we kind of took over, in a sense, because of the events that happened here. Pentecost was 50 days after um, the Passover. And it was a big festival day when Jewish people would gather to celebrate the harvest that they were taking of the springtime, early summer harvest. When they... When the Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. And they were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How can they each of us hear them speaking? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, 
Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of our God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them, saying, oh, they're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. Now they've been the ones who are sinned. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. I've been doing a lot of reading lately. Uh, if you watch the midweek update, uh, my little homily that I've been trying to give during that, I, I told you that I've been doing a lot of reading lately about power. There's a book called Building a People of Power that I've been reading. I've been reading some blogs and other articles about power, what is it, who has it, how do they get it, why do they have it, and it just kind of happened that Pentecost came around when I was talking about these things and or reading about and studying these things, and so it's fun for me to read this story and think about the power of the Holy Spirit that fell upon these men and women who were gathered together in this upper room, and the crazy thing is, is that God sees no uh, reason to ignore difference. Let me say that again. God sees no reason to ignore our differences. It's a popular thing to say in our day and age that, oh, I don't see color. There's, there's only one race, and that's the human race. Well, God sees the differences, and the differences matter. Not so that we can separate people based on differences, but because our differences make up who we are. And for us to say, oh, all people are the same and I don't see the differences, is to negate the fact that people are different. Kathy and I are different. And to say that we're not, that we're just kind of the human race together, is to negate the fact that I was raised one way and Kathy was raised another way and together we come together and do some amazing things in the love that we have for Jesus. Guillermo and I are different. 
And for me to say, oh, I don't see race, is to negate the fact that Guillermo has an amazing life story that can impact me and change my life. The Holy Spirit saw the differences and allowed the, the apostles to speak in a way that all people could hear and all people could understand, not just the people who looked and sounded like Peter. It's our job as followers of Jesus to open up ourselves to the movement of the Holy Spirit so that we can see difference and embrace difference and learn to grow from the experience that other people have in their lives. Otherwise, we miss out on the opportunities to move with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works towards leveling us, not other people. The Holy Spirit listens to me just like it does to Joel and Chuck and Elise and Kathy and Guillermo. The Holy Spirit cares about us and sees us for who we are and what we are about. Luke 12.51 says that this is Jesus, and he says, Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I tell you, I have come instead to bring division. Some translations say I have come to bring the sword. So when we watch the news this week and we see towns burning and riots happening, we shouldn't be crying out for peace. We should be crying out for justice because Jesus himself doesn't cry out for peace. He cries out for justice. And when we're on the Holy Spirit path, when we're on the way of Jesus, when we're on the way of justice and righteousness, which John the Baptist cried for, which Amos cried for, which Micah cried for, and they were crying out the words of God, and Jesus came to show us what the way of justice looks like, when we're on that path, we have peace within us, but around us it may not look like peace is happening. When we're doing the right thing for other people and making sure that justice rains down like a mighty river, to quote the prophet Amos and the prophet Micah, we will know inner peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, is empowers us and sustains us for the work of justice. Now, justice is a confusing word, because growing up in the United States, for the most part, when we hear the word justice, we think of criminal justice. And oftentimes, criminal justice is punitive. But there are other kinds of justice, and justice is often translated as righteousness in Scripture, and vice versa. So what, what is justice? The easiest way that I know how to explain it is something similar to fairness, right? So if I'm standing here, and Kathy is standing here, and Elise is standing in between us, you would see tears, right? You would see Kathy is the shortest, Elise is in the middle, and I'm the tallest. Elise is my daughter. Kathy works here at the church, and it would show this staggered thing. 
Now, if we were all trying to look over a fence and we had boxes to stand on, I, if I had the tallest box and Kathy had the shortest box, she might not be able to see over the fence. And let's say that Elise had just the right size box where she could look over and see over the fence and see what was happening in the world on the other side. But for me, the fence is about right here, and for Kathy, it's here. But if I would give up some of my box, some of my power, and give it to Kathy if she asks for it, and I would take her small box, then it would be fair and it would be more just because we could all see over the fence equally. But what has happened oftentimes in our society is those of us who have the tallest box hold on to it, even when people in the smaller box are saying, please let me look over the fence. Can I at least stand on your box for a little bit? We stand on our box and say, no, get away from me. I'll tell you what's on the other side. The Holy Spirit cries out for justice and asks us who have the tallest box to be willing to give it up for those who have the shortest box. That is the definition of justice that I want us to be thinking about this morning. So in this passage, there are several kinds of people. There are the apostles. We've had this incredible experience of sitting around in a room together, visiting, getting ready to celebrate the Harvest Festival, and then all of a sudden, wind just blows into the room, and we don't know that the wind does anything to them, but there is a sound of a violent, rushing wind in the room, and it's so loud, even outside of the room, that people start to gather around to see what's going on. But behind the closed doors, there are flames of fire... I imagine they look something like this, these flames that Angie uh, most creatively made for us, that were over each one's head. Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like. We have to use our sanctified imaginations to picture it in our minds. And they're looking around, and they're hearing the sound, and they're seeing the flames. But for some reason, they're not afraid. For some reason, they feel empowered. And they step out, and they see that giant crowds have gathered around because all throughout Jerusalem we're told there are people from all sorts of nations and then there are people from Rome and then there are Jewish converts from Rome so it's not just all Jews who are there the people are really different and amongst the different kinds of people that are there there are a couple of kinds of responses the first response is what is going on, which I think all of us would experience. The other response is, what, these people are so drunk that they're just gibberish, they're just speaking gibberish. And then the other people are amazed because the Holy Spirit is speaking to them even though they don't have the power. Which, interestingly enough, Peter, who was the preacher in that moment, did not have power. He was a peasant fisherman who was taxed potentially around 90% of his income. He would go out and fish all night long, 
and he would come in and there would be a tax collector there who would take fish for Rome and then would take fish for the governor and then would take fish for himself and whatever was left is what Peter got to take to his family and to the market to sell and most scholars think it was somewhere around 10% of what he caught was he able to keep. He had been part of a movement of peasants that were fighting against a system where the government and the religion were colluding together to hold people up in power and to keep other people down. And Peter had been part of this movement of love that Jesus started to flip the script and to say, look, the people who are at the lowest need to be raised up. Did you know that there are places in the world where reading the Magnificat, the song that Jesus' mother wrote upon hearing of her pregnancy, is illegal to read? That if you read the Magnificat out loud in public, there are places in the world where you will be, where you will be jailed. Because Jesus' mother understood that this baby inside of her was coming to flip the script. Jesus was so upset with the collusion of the system that he went to the temple on the week of his, of his crucifixion and murder. He went to the temple and turned over tables. But before he started turning over tables and tearing things up in the temple, he sat down on the steps of the temple mount and braided a whip and planned out this act. I walked in, started cracking the whip and turning over tables and saying enough is enough, you will hear what I'm going to say. Jesus didn't come for outer peace, he came for inner peace. If we walk in the way of Jesus, we will find that peace. And John Wesley says that if we all walk in it, and we all give up our own power for everybody else, and we live in righteousness together, the whole world will see the way of Jesus and be saved. But to do that, we have to listen to the people who do not have power. There's an idea that you can read about in lots of books, and you can Google this idea. It's called counterintuitive solidarity. And counterintuitive solidarity means that you listen to the people who are oppressed and you believe them when they tell you what it looks like from underneath the table when you can only see the top of the table. You believe the experience that they have even though you haven't had it. Listen to this. In the midst of the racial unrest of the mid-20th century, which climaxed during the Southern Freedom Movement, we can all picture from the old black and white footage black schoolboys and girls being hosed down against walls and sliding down the street while dogs are set, set loose upon them during the Birmingham demonstration in 1963. Or how about remembering Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, where peaceful marchers were clobbered and beat senselessly? We all mostly can look back and say that racism was a huge problem at that time. But guess what? When polled in May 1946, about seven out of 10 white Americans believed that Negroes in the United States are being treated fairly. 
that comes from Hazel Goddard Erskine, The Poles and Race Relations, published in the Public Opinion Quarterly 26, number one, in 1962. This, of course, was in the midst of the Jim Crow segregation, the terror of the KKK and the White Citizens Council, and regular lynchings of young black men in America. During that time, we just were told seven out of 10 white Americans could think that black people were being treated fairly. This questions the capacity of any oppressive dominant society to look even remotely objectively at a situation, of course, for the black community, the majority of them knew that they were being untreated unfairly. That so many in the midst of racial segregation and oppression could think that things were fine and pretty much equal for all, at that time, must be seriously wrestled with. For us, in our time, we need the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, which is practice counterintuitive solidarity. Listen to the words of him that moved from listening to Jewish people in Germany and trying to act on their behalf because he believed what they were saying to the United States, where he went to an African-American church and believed what people were saying there. He says this, It remains an experience of incomparable value that we have for once learned to see the great events of the world from below from the perspective of the outcast, the suspects, the maltreated, the powerless, the oppressed and reviled, in short, from the perspective of the suffering. If only during this time of bitterness and envy have not corroded the heart, that we come to see matters of great and small, happiness and misfortune, strength and weakness with new eyes, that our sense of greatness, humanness, justice and mercy has grown clearer, freer, more incorruptible, that we learn indeed that suffering is a more useful key, a more fruitful principle than personal happiness for exploring the meaning of the world in contemplation and in action. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to push us to the margins. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom and the courage to practice counterintuitive solidarity where we listen to people who are different than us tell us what their experience of life is like so that we can then believe them and act with them to bring about a leveling, a righteousness, a justice. The Holy Spirit shows that we are empowered to do that in Acts chapter 2. Jesus died to teach us that. All throughout the scriptures, we hear prophets crying out, listen to the oppressed. Every time in my life that I've led a Bible study over any of the prophets, and God is showing anger and saying, this place that is unjust will be destroyed. People say, what in the world? That's not the view of Jesus that we get. Jesus came to show us how to love. And we destroyed it. But thank God that God can overcome our destructiveness toward one another. 
because death never has the final word. I hope that today, this Pentecost day, this day where we recognize that the Holy Spirit comes in like fire and torches our souls to be changed and empowers us, I hope that we will be moved that we'll be moved to listen more than we speak. That we'll be moved to believe people when they tell us that they have been oppressed and they have experienced racism and they have experienced sexism and they have experienced heterosexism. That we will listen. And that we will learn. And that we'll recognize that our experience is not everybody's experience. And that the Holy Spirit will empower us to be willing and courageous to give up our power so that other people can be raised up. Because when we raise everybody up, we're raised up as well. This isn't my idea. I didn't invent this way of thinking. It comes from Scripture. May you be empowered by the Spirit of God today, this Pentecost day, to think and live differently so that you can experience deep inner peace in the midst of turmoil. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer.